Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Thursday, December 8th, 2022. It's been 3,207 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 288 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that Russia is still conducting stealth mobilization, and it is almost certain that the second wave of partial mobilization will begin in January or February 2023. Second, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished further and is now a remote possibility during the winter months. Third, We assess there is an extreme risk of continued terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure through December 22nd. Fourth, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Fifth, we maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction is possible. Sixth, we maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing more unrest outside the Kremlin, with the Russian information space outraged over the drone strikes on Russian airbases. Seventh, We maintain that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu is reaching a point where his continued leadership of the Russian Federation Armed Forces is at risk, and that it will be politically difficult to blame Army General Sergei Surovykin, Commander-in-Chief of the Russian Aerospace Forces, for failing to defend Russian airbases. Eighth, we maintain that Army General Surovykin, also the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, will increase operational tempo at all costs, to create a political victory on the battlefield before December 31st. Ninth, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Tenth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Eleventh, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. Our assessment yesterday that poor weather conditions would slow the operational tempo in Luhansk was accurate, 
there was a significant reduction in fighting today. Russian forces likely tried to flank Ukrainian positions in Novoselivsky with a failed attack on Stelmakhivka, five kilometers to the southwest. The general staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian troops attacked Ploshanka without success. Mercenaries with Rybar and Wargonzo both reported fighting for control of Ploshanka, with Rybar reporting that Ukrainian forces had almost reached the P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line. We adjusted the map by moving the line of conflict further east. Quick assessment, the highway is approximately one kilometer east of Ploshanka, so we did a terrain analysis to determine potential defensive positions for Ukrainian forces and believe they've advanced southeast of Ploshanka through forested terrain. Russian forces attacked Ukrainian positions in Chervonopopivka with no change in the situation. Positional fighting continued east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. On December 7th, the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, JCCC, did not release any reports. Semyon Pegov of Wargonzo left the Kremina area and is now near Pavlivka in southwest Donetsk. Pegov is a less brave version of Reed Timmer, the famous tornado chaser from the United States. If Pegov shows up in your town, you know things are about to get crazy, just like Reed Timmer. If Pegov leaves your town and the fighting is still happening, and you're Russian, same as that old Kmart building, prepare to get wrecked. In northeast Donetsk, the GSAFU reported that Spirna was shelled throughout the day, indicating Ukraine still holds control of the village. Attacks by the private military company or PMC Wagner Group on Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, and Berestova were repulsed by Ukrainian forces. Andriy Ilyenko, an officer of the Svoboda Battalion, said during an interview on Espresso TV that Russia had thrown, quote, all combat-ready units of its army into the Bakhmut direction. Ilyenko said, quote, the Russians have received too many defeats in recent months. They lost the battle in the Kharkiv region, the Kherson region. They need at least some kind of rehabilitation. They need revenge. At least somewhere, they must show that they can attack. Bakhmut was chosen by the occupiers precisely for these reasons. End quote. PMC Wagner released a picture report claiming their forces had captured Yakovlivka. Wagner telegram channels shared the same language, writing, quote, There are reports that the reconnaissance and assault companies of the Wagner group, with heavy fighting, were able to extradite the enemy, they mean Ukraine, from the village of Yakovlivka. End quote. There are reports... So, like, my grandma's friend said? Regarding PMC Wagner's evidence, ignoring for now the war crime of one Wagner mercenary wearing a Ukrainian uniform, but the photo doesn't prove anything and cannot be geolocated. No other source, including the Russian Ministry of Defense, reported success in this area, and the mill bloggers who claimed Wagner captured Yakovlivka used the same there are reports quote. We have identified Wagner's claims of the capture of Spirna, Opitne, and Verknokamyanska as false in the last seven days. We believe the best disinformation comes from the truth, so we split the difference, moved the line of conflict to the T-1302 highway, and marked the settlement as contested. Wagner also attempted to advance further into Bakhmutska, but was unsuccessful. 
Fighting in the region of the E-40 highway near Bakhmut continued, with some reports that Russian forces made marginal gains. We did not update the map. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces defended Opitnev from an attack, while Rybar wrote that Ukrainian forces attempted to attack Russian troops in Opitne. This is why we have trust issues. In our assessment, Ukraine is still in the town four kilometers south of Bakhmut. Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on Kurdyumivka. Russian sources did not make any claims about Bilohora, and the GSAFU did not report continued fighting or shelling of the town. In our assessment, Ukrainian forces engaged a reconnaissance or DRG unit and fought with them near the town. We readjusted the map based on available intelligence and silence from the Russian millblogger community. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces successfully defended their positions in Mayorsk, which we assessed on December 5th was contested, based on geolocated video evidence. We made a small change to the map, moving the line of conflict to the railroad station. Russian artillery units shelled the center of Yampil after residents had gathered to receive humanitarian aid. Three civilians were wounded in the strike. In southwest Donetsk, Russian forces carpeted Avdiivka with thermite munitions during the evening, setting large areas of the city on fire. After the barrage, vast areas of the city were in flames, reminiscent of the carpet bombing by aircraft during World War II. The People's Militia of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, released a video showing the shelling of a factory on the southern edge of Krasnohorivka. Ukrainian forces continued to hold their defensive line in the center of Marinka. It was another day, and there was another attack on the eastern edge of Novomikhailivka, with no change in the situation. If nothing else, the First Army Corps of the DNR is certainly consistent. We moved the line of conflict north of Mikilsky, based on a report from Gorgonzo's Pegov from the Nikolo Vasilyevsky Monastery. Pegov also claimed that Russian forces were attacking Prechistivka, Zolotaniva, and Vremivka. No other sources reported fighting in the area. The People's Militia of the DNR released their daily report, and for the second day in a row, it's likely close to reality, claiming that eight units of, quote, armored and automotive units were destroyed. Ukrainian forces conducted 186 fire missions on the occupied territories. Ten civilians were killed in the free Ukraine town of Kurachova, 18 kilometers west of Marinka. The town was heavily shelled during the day, with a market, several gas stations, the bus station, and residential buildings damaged in the attack. Ukrainian forces destroyed an electrical substation in Russian-occupied Volnovakha, 55 kilometers north of Mariupol, and a key logistical node for the ongoing fighting south of Vuladar. Power was also knocked out to parts of Khorlivka. Shelling set a warehouse containing sulfur on fire near the shuttered sterile chemical plant while the smell is awful, officials told the public there was no health risk. The occupied cities of Makivka and Donetsk were shelled and hit by rockets. In Mariupol, insurgents reported the arrival of half-height dragon's teeth used to build a defensive line along the mariupol mangush nikolska region. West of Mariupol, in the coastal town of Urzuf, Russian troops are being stationed, and they have severed internet and cellular communications. Within Mariupol, Occupation forces have set up a checkpoint in the morning market area where cars and pedestrians are searched.
You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. Once again, there was mutual shelling by both belligerents and Kherson. Russian forces conducted 30 fire missions on the free Ukraine territories west of the Dnipro River, killing two civilians and wounding one. We made changes to the map based on reports from the GSAFU and maybe a bit of peer pressure. Being one of the only groups of analysts who had not moved the line onto the islands of the Dnipro River estuary. Based on the earlier creation of a green corridor for residents of Dachy to evacuate from and the repeated shelling of Bilohrudove by Russian forces, we consider both settlements contested. We also marked the marina areas across the river from central Kherson as contested. Only Dachy is tenuously connected to the east bank of the Dnipro, with the other areas requiring at least one more water crossing through the Dnipro estuary. Four police officers were killed and four more were wounded when Russian landmines exploded. The four surviving officers are in critical condition and fighting for their lives. The group was from the Cherkasy Oblast and was demining when the blast occurred. The officers who died in the explosion were Mikhailo Kurachenko, the head of the main department of the National Police in Cherkasy Oblast, Ihor Melnik, an explosive technician, Serhi Nanada, a detector dog handler, and Vadim Padizhok, assistant to the deputy officer of the patrol police response sector of the Uman District Police Department. Russian-occupied Hola Pristan and Kahovka were shelled. There was no change in the operational situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and Enerhoatom employees have been locked out, so Ukrainian officials can't provide an update. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, has not released an update since December 2nd, likely due to the floundering demilitarization negotiations, which, according to Russian officials, are all but dead. In Russian-occupied Tokmak, Ukrainian Special Operation Forces identified and located an ammunition depot and called in a fire mission. The ammunition depot was all used up in one big explosion. Militopol hospitals and Russian aid stations are dealing with so many wounded Russian soldiers, they are calling for volunteers with no medical training to assist in their treatment. Previously, Russian leaders promised that volunteers who completed a medic course and cared for patients would receive preferential treatment if they applied for medical school. There was clarification on the assassination attempt on Nikolai Volik in Militopol. Volik was reportedly wounded in the attack, but exiled Mayor Ivan Fedorov clarified that the Russian-appointed deputy mayor was only stunned by the blast caused by two and a half kilograms of TNT detonating 50 meters away. There was only sporadic artillery and tank fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Juliapola to Orihiv. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, there are 13 ships of the Black Sea fleet on patrol, including a Kilo-class submarine capable of launching four caliber cruise missiles. Russian military officials claim that a warship shot down a Ukrainian drone near the coast of Sevastopol. The explosion was heard throughout the city, creating, what was that boom, 
posts in social media, just like in your local Facebook group. Russian forces shelled Kutsurub and struck Ochakiv with S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. The shells landed in unpopulated areas near Kutsurub, while the missiles struck the town of Ochakiv without causing injuries. Vitali Kim, Mykolaiv Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the city of Mykolaiv was attacked by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles, which hit a commercial transportation center, damaging equipment. In western and central Ukraine, in Dnipropetrovsk, Russian forces struck Nikopol, Chervonoryodivka, and Markhanets with artillery and grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. The damage was unknown at the time of recording, but there weren't any casualties. Vitaly Bonechko, Zhitomir Oblast administrative and military governor, reported an Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drone was launched from Belarus. The 115th Territorial Defense Brigade shot it down after it crossed into Ukrainian airspace. The debris landed in Korostin, damaging homes. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Cherniv, the border towns of Khremyak and Khenivka were shelled. Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Hromada of Znobnovhorotsk was hit by 11 mortars fired from across the international border. There was no damage or injuries. Northeast of Kharkiv on the Russian border, Ukrainian territorial defense units repelled a Russian attack on Ternova. The Russian MOD reported their forces shelled Ukrainian positions in Vilshana, confirming that Ukrainian forces occupy at least part of the settlement. Based on the information, we moved the line of conflict further east. Moving on to the Russian front, Deputy Prime Minister of the Russian Federation, Marat Yesnulin, reported that the work has started on the second damaged section of roadway on the Kerch Bridge. Yesterday, Russian officials reported that repairs are still ongoing on the more damaged area and won't be done before the end of the year. Repair work on the adjacent lines won't be completed until March 2023, and that timeline is dependent on the weather. The Kerch Strait Ferry was still closed due to bad weather conditions. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Iranian-sourced kamikaze drones struck several areas of critical infrastructure for the energy infrastructure in eastern Ukraine, causing power outages to continue as engineers work to stabilize the grid again. Ukrainian officials maintained tight operational security and did not provide any other information. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky reported that the Ukrainian armed forces had reached a key milestone, having freed 1,888 settlements, with another 1,888 awaiting liberation. Ukraine has recaptured 54% of the territory that Russia occupied at the peak of its invasion on March 25th. During a press conference, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg told the Financial Times that Russia does not want to negotiate peace in good faith, saying, quote, There are no conditions for a diplomatic solution now. The more we want a peaceful solution, the more insistent is the need to provide military support to Ukraine. Russia is trying to freeze the conflict before launching a larger offensive in the spring, end quote. According to Minister of Digital Transformation Mikhail Fedorov, the Ukrainian Marine Drone Fleet of Unmanned Surface Vessels, or USF, will be operational by the end of December. 
More than $237 million in funds was raised to purchase the USFs, likely of the same design used for the October 29th attack on the Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol. Speaking of unmanned, let's talk about Russian mobilization. We are all very angry with Russian President Vladimir Putin after saying that not everything is quite going to plan and the special military operation could be, quote, a long process. Now we can't end this section with everything is going to plan. Putin said that approximately 150,000 of the MOBICs called up in September are in Ukraine, with 77,000 in combat units, and said that another round of mobilization, quote, makes no sense. He claimed that despite difficulties, Russia has achieved, quote, significant results by acquiring new territory. Okay, let's review that February 23rd speech of his justifying the invasion. Yeah, no, 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 nothing about new territory for Russia in that speech. Hmm. In the same discussion, he compared himself to Peter the Great, saying the quiet part out loud about ambition to return Russia to its imperialist glory. Once again, it hasn't been a single day since the Kremlin talked about nuclear weapons. Putin said the threat of nuclear war was growing, adding that Russia would not use its arsenal in a first strike, but only for retaliation, saying, quote, when we are hit, we strike back, end quote. In a press briefing on Wednesday, United States State Department spokesman Ned Price declined to reply to Putin's remarks directly and said, quote, we think any loose talk of nuclear weapons is absolutely irresponsible, end quote. While Putin signed a decree demobilizing 3,000 students in the DNR, he is still considering signing another decree that would demobilize doctors, some who were sent to the front to fill combat roles. A column of Russian T-90M tanks, the most modern equipment in the Russian arsenal, was spotted in the Donbass. Russian mill bloggers claimed the column had 200 new pieces of armor, but the pictures and video clips showed that an extra little zero got into that claim. The amount of truck traffic passing through the Rostov Federal District has increased tenfold since the destruction of the railroad line on the Kerch Bridge. The ridiculous amount of traffic is causing massive traffic jams and slowdowns in customs and inspections. A plan. Plan? Really? We don't need a plan. Plans are for people who can't think on their feet. Bliat's your plan. In War Crimes and Human Rights, the Kiev School of Economics estimated that Russia had stolen or destroyed 1.87 billion U.S. dollars worth of grain and edible oils from Ukraine. That amounts to 4 million tons of cargo. A recent study using data from NASA put the estimate at $1 billion even. The Kiev study considered the loss of production, while the NASA report evaluated theft only. In economic news, Slovenia and Hungary are considering building a natural gas pipeline between the two nations, reducing Hungary's dependency on Russian gas. Viktor Orban, Prime Minister of Hungary, said that his nation was also negotiating with Romania and Croatia and indicated that he was open to building more than one connection. Slovenia and Hungary just completed connecting their electrical grids. The Russian ruble was unchanged, holding at 63 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices continued to slide, with WTI crude trading at $73 a barrel 
and Brent falling to $78. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market dropped again to $2.09 a gallon or $0.55 a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures were volatile, increasing sharply to €150 per megawatt hour for January 2023 delivery and €151 for February. Chicago SRW wheat futures climbed to $7.48 for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.